Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Web Chatham Report, episode 76. I used to be such a big Ween fan, and I loved that song, which was the B-side to the uh, Push the Little Daisy single. I mean, it came out earlier, but they added it to that when they hit, you know, achieved mainstream success. <laughs> and I used to always want them to play it live. And then one time, I think it was a City Gardens show, they played it live in Jersey, and I was so excited. That was a great show, man. Yeah, but then, you know, we got all, like, deadhead. It was weird. I went to a reunion show with my girlfriend. Not reunion, but uh, Quebec, when that album came out with my girlfriend Judy at the time at Avalon or House of Blues or whatever it was called in Boston. And uh, all these Ween fans were like children, and they were like, you know, traveled around and followed Ween and got really high, which, you know, obviously, from the beginning, Ween was really into the uh, the marijuana but <laughs> and I was like out on a smoke break because I still smoked then. I was talking to some kid and he's like, "When's the first time you saw Ween?" And I was like, "God, Ween, Satan, the Oneness, man." I saw him like five times. He's like, "Oh my God, dude!" And I felt so old, even though I was probably not even thirty-five at the time or something. Yeah, probably about thirty-five. So you know, I felt like old. I would like to feel thirty-five and old again. That would be cool. Hi, how you doing? What's going on? Are you having a good week? Uh, welcome to quarantine. Day 201 of our quarantine here in Chatham County, North Carolina. It's pretty sweet. Uh, I'm still I'm still alive. Uh, hey, hey, I'm still alive. Maybe I'll just keep uh, making you suffer through my bad vocal renditions of 90 songs. Uh, who I also saw very early in their career, Pearl Jam, on that first album tour because of that song, actually. I really liked Alive. And then I just, you know, also they're playing with Smashing Pumpkins on Gish. And I was like, yeah, man, I'm going to go to that show at the BU Walter Brown Arena. <laughs> Pearl Jam's the only time I ever saw him. I don't think I ever saw Pearl Jam again. I stopped listening to him because, you know, grunge got uncool and all that. Although I was totally wrong. I was listening to Hunger Strike in the car the other day. That's a great song, man. <laughs> I was such a little pretentious dick. A lot of grudge was really good. You know who else was pretty good? Stone Temple Pilots. Not a bad band. What the hell was I thinking? Anyway, yeah, yeah. Um, we're not even in the music section yet. Uh, anyway, what's going on? You doing all right? I'm doing all right. We got some kitties. I think I mentioned we have a die. We are fostering four kitties, but we put in the papers to adopt two of them. This mic sounds a little weird. Hold on a second. I'm going to do some adjusting. There we go. I thought it was the air conditioner, but it turns out it was the Magnus Jewel, my little uh, vintage toy air organ that I love so much, and it's just the best sound uh, used on home, you know, Untitled by The Cure at the beginning. Uh, you know, that air organ sound. Just a great sound. I used it a little bit on uh, Space Force on the last album, actually. Anyway, uh, 
It makes a lot of noise, that fan. I didn't really notice until it was in my headphones, but uh, that's fixed. Anyway, kitties, we are going to adopt two of them. We're going to adopt the Calico, who is named Callie. I thought we would change the name because it was a little on the nose. But, you know, we've had them for like a month, and it's really hard to change a name on a cat once you like start thinking of the cat that way. But uh, And then one of the black ones, we put in, I, honestly, I can't tell the three black ones apart. One's got a flatter face, and I think that's the one that Emma put in for our adoption on. But she's starting to like one of the little baby ones as well. So uh, maybe we'll keep three. I don't know. But somebody's coming to look at a couple of them soon, so we might have to give them up. That'll be really sad. Also, I need to, like, time these cats. I'm, I'm starting to plan end-of-life stuff, right? <laughs> My wife is 11 years younger than me, and... Uh, I've got this friend, she's 58, her husband's like uh, 13 years older than her, and so, you know, they're just in radically different life places, he's like falling apart and decrepit, and she's like pretty healthy and on and active still, and they're, they're actually moving down here from uh, New York, they're moving to the Triangle, but not just the Triangle, like the next neighborhood over, it's kind of crazy, but uh, anyway, it got me thinking, and I was like, yeah, you know, I can't, like, these cats, the cats live like 20 years, so, you know, we'll be fine, these cats live last, like, I'm 68, and then, you know, they'll start dying, but, like, and then there's kitties, but she needs to already, you know, 68, like, I think I can live past 68, I'm pretty healthy, I got a good heart and low blood pressure and low cholesterol and all that, but, um, you know, I think I should get a cat like around 60 that lasts to 80 so that she's got a cat through. I don't think I can make it to 80, honestly. And uh, or maybe like, you know, get a cat every decade, spread them out. It's kind of what I'm saying. So my wife has comfort from the cat after I'm gone. <laughs> it's kind of morbid thinking I've been doing lately. Uh, but yeah, we're keeping two of them. It's pretty exciting. Exciting about the cats. I'm back on the diet. I think I told you that last time. Yeah, I didn't, uh, I'm down 14 pounds, but this week I didn't really do that well. I only lost like half a pound this week. So I don't know. It's slowing down, but it, it doesn't matter. I'm, I'm off the, the bloom is off the rose, so to speak. I'm off the peak. I'm going down slowly. I'm eating better. I'm drinking less. So that's the important thing. It's, it's, it's directionally okay. Uh, man, I miss drinking, but you know, the thing is, is like this whole pandemic until the bars are open and I can sit in front of like one of my favorite bartenders at one of my favorite bars with one of my favorite people next to me. I don't really need to drink that much cause, and I don't really need to go out cause that's all I want to do. That's the only thing I miss. <laughs> I kind of miss rock shows, but not really, you know, I mean, I'd like to go to cat's cradle again and see a band. That'd be cool. But like the only thing I profoundly miss out there is sitting at a bar with a friend. So I figure I can drink a little less until that is an option again. So the diet's going pretty well. And also, like, I was so out of control. There's all this. I have, like, a two-month supply of cheese in the house, like a two-and-a-half-month supply of, three-month supply of Diet Mountain Dew. So I'm not buying any more of that stuff, but I'm, like, using up in, in, in moderation the stuff I have in the house already. So, you know, I'm not actually fully hardcore on the diet yet. I'm still drinking Diet Mountain Dew. I'm still having a piece of manchego cheese every morning oh my god i love manchego cheese anyway uh just a little piece just a little piece hard cheese and i'm doing the fasting i'm not doing drinking much i'm being healthy at lunch and breakfast so you know i'm, I'm getting there i'm getting there uh, but most of my life these days has been taken up with the garden in the studio. Uh, studio i got a new computer it is very exciting for me uh it just came on thursday and i got everything 
I got the new one. I got it up and running. I got the everything off the old one. I'm doing a clean install. I don't. I, whenever I get a new computer, I don't do like a backup from Time Machine or anything like that. I start with all fresh system prefs. I consider one by one every install. So all the bloatware that just sort of slowly piles up on your computer, like the 16 different freaking conference systems, like Cisco and WebEx and Zoom and Microsoft, all those are gone. All the extensions, all that stuff is gone. I manually reset the preference on every app as I reinstall it. So I keep the old one sort of set up next to it and I like open up Evernote and I set the preferences right. I open up my to-do list app and I set the preferences right. Some of them come over from, you know, your iCloud account. Some of them come from the cloud accounts of the various apps. Some of them you have to manually set. I reinstall every software one by one. You got to do it a certain order. You install the computer. You turn on the computer. You install the basic settings. You update the software on the computer. Then you got to download. Uh, well, I don't do, I, I, I switched away from Chrome. I'm only using Safari now because screw Google. Uh, and, uh, so, you know, you got to get Dropbox, but you got to like sync your Dropbox. You're going to get your one password and you get your one password. So you have your passwords. That was actually a lot better this time because of, uh, handoff Apple's technology to let you copy and paste across computers. I could start entering passwords just using copy and paste, even before the Dropbox downloaded the one password vault. So that was cool. Uh, it was fun. It's all good. Um, this is the first podcast I'm recording on it. And today this is the, the, the render out of this podcast, hour long audio out of garage band. I timed it last two weeks ago and that'll be the first real test of the monstrous power of this beast of a computer, which is just absolutely insane. And it's the fastest thing ever. Uh, I had the previous fastest computer ever an 18 core iMac pro and it's fucking awesome. But Emma needed a faster computer. She's on a 2017 iMac, uh, the original iMac 5K. And it was good, but um, she's been working with these intensely large multi-gigabyte Photoshop files for NBC. And rendering them out and things like that has just been a nightmare. And it was too slow for a computer. And she needed a new computer. And she had a budget against it. And she was like, I'm going to get the best computer I can get for this budget. And I was like, well, you should just give me that money and take mine. Because mine goes for about four grand more than that budget, three grand more than that budget. And you will get a much faster computer. It is still the fastest iMac-shaped computer there is. And I will take that money and I will put it towards a Mac Pro, thus making the Mac Pro within the range of affordability for me. On top of that, our neighbor works at Apple. He has a discount, so I got to use his discount on it. And I use the Apple Card. God, I sound like a YouTube video here. And I use the Apple Card, so I got 3% cash back on it, which is pretty sweet. <laughs> I have a very low credit limit on my Apple Card because I don't know why. They just gave me a low limit and I didn't care. And, um, so my limit on the card was less than the amount of the computer. So I got like $300 cash back on the Apple card. I got the 15% discount and I got a substantial, about half the computer cost for my wife. So I got a screaming fast 28 core MacBook, Mac pro, not MacBook. And, uh, for not a lot of money, like under six grand and it's (laughs) the best deal in the world. I mean, it's a lot of money. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but I've been saving for it for a while now. I knew this was coming. We, Emma had this problem in like July or June when she was working on the NBC stuff. She still does work for him, but when the big batch of it was happening and you know, they pay on this GE, they pay on notoriously long terms. And so she's just starting in the money in September. So we had months to plan and what we were going to do. So, you know, I started saving up for it. It's amazing. And, uh, today's the first day I've really been putting it through its paces and it's really exciting, but, uh, it totally changes my cord paradigm on my desk, right? Because the old computer was an iMac pro. So 
everything plugged into the back of the monitor screen, right? Now I've got this big box, which I love. I love the, I used to, I was a Mac pro guy back. I, I just never got the trash can, but I had the cheese graters, two of them. I loved them. Still have one hiding in the storage unit actually. <laughs> uh, so, you know, all the cables now have to go to this box versus to the back of the computer. So it totally changes the wiring paradigm on, on my monitors and I'm trying to figure out what to do. And it's also just a beautiful, beautiful thing. And I might put it on the desk. It's right now it's on the floor underneath the desk uh, and all the wires are just dang everywhere. I got it working, but it's not pretty. And, uh, I might, I'm sort of debating might might put it on the desk. It just looks gorgeous. And, uh, you know, it's a little hard to get to on the floor. There's like a couple of USB ports on the top for convenience and, um, headphone jack right now. I use a headphone jack on a dock, whatever. So I don't know. I'm going to, I'm going to sort of try it on the desk. I think I got a couple cables coming to like sort of fix up the situation. There's a whole other complication with it because I use an uninterruptible power supply and the iMac pro was the screen and the computer under God, I swear to God, I turned off every ding in this room and I still found more dings. I don't even literally don't even know what just ding dinged. I'm going to go track it down. Oh yeah, right. I have the other computer sitting right next to me, my old one. Um, anyway, so I lost my train of thought, but all the wiring has got to be in different places. I'm going to figure that out. I've got the old iMac here. I'm still offloading everything, the entire user folder up to the QNAP where I will zip it in a com uh, encrypted compressed archive. I'll do that on the QNAP so it can just churn away and not bother anyone. And then that will get backed up to Backblaze into cold storage. That'll cost me like $5 a month for the rest of my life, but uh, I think it's okay for now. I may delete it once everything's set. I do have a time machine backup and I have Dropbox. I'm really paranoid. I've lost a lot of stuff through my life on backups, so I keep like three or four backups now. <laughs> Uh, once everything's set and over in the new time machine, cause I got to delete the old time machine vault to put the new time machine and have it back up. Once that's backed up, I might, I might delete the, uh, cold storage one. We'll think about it. Yeah. And then I got a, tomorrow I will wipe the Mac, the iMac pro, my old computer and get it to its virginal state, albeit with fully updated software. And I will give it to my wife. I also gave, bought her brand new, a black, the iMac pros have black keyboards and trackpads. I bought her a new black keyboard, A, because I'm sentimentally attached to that keyboard and B, I have worn out a couple of the keys and C, when, you know, she gave, she paid a good amount of money. You know what I mean? She gave me like several thousand dollars for this whole thing. And I wanted to feel like a new machine for her. You know, I, I think she'll be very happy with it. It's super fast. It's literally four times faster than her current machine. But the new keyboard is the cheapest way to make a new computer, an old, like a used new new computer feel brand new is a new smooth keyboard. You got that satiny feel on the keys and Apple's got this whole thing going on their pro line. They, they have different colored keyboards, right? So silver keyboards for regular iMacs, black keyboards for iMac pros and silver and black for the Mac pro, which you can only buy with a Mac pro. So I might actually stop using this and just go back to the black keyboard. Cause it's kind of a, kind of a douche move. Like what happens if it breaks? Do I, <laughs> is it under warranty? I guess it is. I did buy the, I don't know. I'll think about that. Uh, yeah. So then the wiring, I'll get that all fixed up. Uh, you may recall I moved the Farfisa's and the Farfisa and the Rhodes and the amp to give myself more room on the desk. I mounted the TV. So there's more room on the desk. And then next, after all of this, I'm going to start working on a modular shelving thing on the wall over there to just get more of the junk in the room hidden away. That's, that's my goal. So that's been taking up a lot of my time. It's uh it's pretty satisfying. Uh, yeah. 
yeah, I'm into it. And then gardening's been going well. Uh, I'm just about ready to start all the compost piles. I got it all planned out. I got, I'm going to have three bins, three foot by three foot by three foot bins to start with. One will be the main compost, hot, warm compost bin that we use. I've got a bunch of ash. Uh, I'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, we'll have all the leaves from the ground. We got the kitchen scraps. I've got a bunch of shredded paper You know, I've got a lot of mix of carbons and, uh, and nitrogens and we will sort of keep it going. I bought a mulcher to mulch, uh, all the plants as they wind down from the fall, as well as anything, you know, that we find in the, in the yard, in the, in the land, as well as uh, kitchen scraps. I will mulch all that to speed the composting. And, um, and the second bin, I'm going to do leaf mold complexing, uh, composting. I've done a bunch of research on this, and basically you just dump a ton of leaves there and let it wait, stir it a little bit, maybe put a little dirt in to get started. And within the you know nine months before I need it, they'll just compost. So I bought a pitchfork, very excited, so I can turn my compost piles. And then the third one will just be a bin where I keep all this year's dirt. I will pour it in there. I'll put like a little bit of nutrients, uh, maybe some worm, worm casting. Still trying to figure that out. Uh, so the dirt from this year will be there as well, so I can reuse. And then in the spring, hopefully I'll have this year's dirt, which has got a little bit more nutrients in it, two good big bins of compost, and I'll get some vermiculite for aeration, and then I'll have so much dirt for next year. And I won't have to spend $500, $600. I spent so much money on dirt. It was just dumb. And uh, yeah, so that's my goal for next year. Uh, one, of my, one of my gardening goals is not have to buy any dirt next year because that's just stupid. And the other goal is this year is to get enough peppers in the freezer that I don't have to buy or go to the Asian grocery in Durham and pay a bunch of money for Thai peppers. I think I got about 25 weeks of peppers in the freezer now, so I'm making progress. I just did the garden harvest today. Tomatoes are like in a little bit of a lull, but they're coming back. I got there's a bunch of green, big, fat ones on there. I pruned them a lot, got them ready for the fall. Uh, a lot of the leaves were burned from the summer, so I trimmed them, you know, and they're, they're looking pretty good. One or two might be petered out, but the bulk of them are, look, are still producing. But the peppers are going great, and I got like two weeks of peppers again today. So one for the week ahead of me next week, so I have peppers for my stir fries, and then another week to put in the freezer. Last week, I got three weeks of peppers, which was awesome. So that's going well. I got a little basement garden going right outside my office door. I've got six broccoli plants. Uh, I just got some lettuces. Um... A ton of basil. I mean, just like five varieties, 15 pots. It's out of control. I'm going to have basil all, all winter. That's my goal. Fresh basil all winter. Move these into the garage, into the growing area, under the growing light. Have basil all winter. That's my goal. I got some snow peas out there. I got some radishes. Uh, four new cucumber plants that are just going gangbusters. They just budded their first little computer uh, cucumbers, but they are six feet tall on the on the netting. So that is, that is going well. Hopefully, you know, it's cooled off a lot. We didn't really like fall is fall. It's weird. Usually like we have an Indian summer in the eighties and nineties. It goes in through September, but it's already in the sixties and seventies. It's nowhere near frosting in the winter in the evening yet, but it's getting cool. So man, I have been watching a ton of YouTube gardening videos and now I just sound like all those dudes. <laughs> it's kind of hilarious. It's like a disease, right? Uh, yeah, so that's what's going on with car gardening, the gardening and the studio are really keeping me sane from what's going on in the rest of the world. I'm kind of amazed we haven't made a German word for what everybody's feeling. My life is going okay, but the world is going to hell and I feel like a constant existential dread. Some like tech guy, CEO trying to be a th uh, thought leader. Might have been MailChimp. And actually, fair point, because MailChimp, they are pretty cool. They never took any venture capital. Anyway, um, 
wrote a post about how it's the asterisk, right? Like I'm good with an asterisk and I'm like, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. That's on the right track. We're all, you know, not all, all, obviously some of us are not doing well at all. That's the whole point, but you know, I am doing well with an asterisk, right? But it's not as good as some sort of German word, like (laughs) I took two years of German. I can't remember any of it. Uh, but you know, the politics stuff is just out of control. It's, uh, <laughs> today's a rough day, especially, uh, with Trump nominating his new justice to the court. I have really been practicing. I don't know. Maybe there's some religion where this is it, some sort of Eastern religion. Uh, my, my cursory studies of Taoism and Buddhism, I have not come across it, but the ability to hold sort of like hope and acceptance for the bad outcomes simultaneously. I'm trying to master that feeling like, the odds are, and I have to accept that we are going to have a new Supreme Court justice and an incredibly conservative court. But I also hold out hope simultaneously, not naive hope, but just hope that there could be something that goes wrong. Uh, it almost worked with the Kavanaugh thing. Uh, you know, I, I doubt we're going to find out this nominee <laughs> is, uh, you know, has a secret past of sexual assault or something like that, given that she's basically like part of a uh, religious sect on which the Handmaiden's Tale was based on. <laughs> oh, God, oh, God. Uh, I have read an extensive amount of history, and I have shared it with you guys about FDR and his court, uh, Chief Justice Hughes, Charles Evans Hughes, uh, the uh, FDR's attempt at court packing and what is called the switch in time to save nine, where Hughes saw the writing on the wall and realized that we may have a revolution if the court didn't start. Uh, you know, uh, is very a lot of parallels right now. If the court didn't start uh, not finding, if it if it didn't start finding some of FDR's New Deal initiatives constitutional, that we might have a serious problem uh, with the legitimacy of the courts. And I see a lot of parallels with that. With the uh, you know Obamacare, uh, this new one. I'm trying to remember her name. You know, I, I mean, I know it every time, but you know, I'm, I'm trying to memorize it so it's in my head all the time. And anyway, she's written um, you know a scathing review critique of Roberts's finding and the last Obamacare case. So I don't think she's going to side with the liberals and Roberts to uphold Obamacare. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. We, maybe there was a moment there, the Cuban nominee in Florida that he was thinking of nominating for political purposes to help with his chances in Florida. Then, uh, the reason he didn't go with her is because there was a little bit more of a chance that she was more of an unknown quality and she might've pulled a Roberts or a Hughes and started switching her votes and they were worried about that. And I was kind of thinking maybe that was, it was a bit of a Faustian bargain for the left, but if we got her and he, you know, whether or not he won Florida, but he didn't win the election. And then we had this more, uh, sort of opaque judge versus Amy. I feel bad calling her just Amy and I can't remember her last name. So pause, hold one, please. Barrett, Amy Coney Barrett. She's been very explicit about these things. So we, you know, we're screwed. We're screwed. Our only hope is to have a win from the Biden camp. I am a hundred percent pro court packing. I think it's the way to go. Uh, I'm completely okay with what people say is the downside that the next time there's, you know, Republicans control all three branches, they add people to the court and then we do it and then they do it. That's great. That's fine with me. That means every individual judge is less important. That means that, you know, the sort of politicization of the court is less. Uh, I see no problem with that. And I think that like, we absolutely should pack the court if we get the election. And if we don't get the election, you'll never hear from me again. Cause I'm just going to lose it. 
Um, yeah, and then, you know, with this whole peaceful transition talk of Trump's, that was a little terrifying, right? I mean, his whole thing is just to float these things and hope people don't freak out on him and then, you know, know he can get away with it. And I think it's going to come down to that. He's going to try it, you know, on the election night. And it's all going to be around the people around him. It's going to be all about them. Like, you know, Stephen Miller will be sitting there being like, yeah, yeah, sick Kyle. And then like, what is everybody else going to do? What is Barr going to do? Right. I think Barr would probably go with it personally, but I do think there's a chance if you like, you know, I read this history of the FBI and he wasn't quite this wackadoodle back then. He is, you know, a unitary executive theory adherent who believes that the president can do whatever they want. They act as a king. But uh, that theory does not state that the president is the president for life or can overthrow the presidency. It's while they are president, they are unitary, right? So I, there's a chance, I suppose, that once he loses, Barr will be like, no, get out of here. There's a chance the Secret Service will. There's a chance the military will. I don't know. I don't know. It's very, very stressful. If everybody around him is just like, yeah, whatever, dude, then he'll just drop it, I think. But it's terrifying. And we've got less than 40 days. And I'm starting to freak out. I'm starting to freak out. Oh, I should, like, do the math on the podcast. Hold, please. Oh, my God. We only have two more of these before the election. That is nuts. That is nuts. And then there will be one four days after the election. (laughs) You may or may not hear from me then. That'll be fun. Anyway, yeah, that's life here in Chatham County. It's going great. I like my house. I like my cats. I like my wife. Uh, Jane's been being a little rough, however, so she figured out how to climb out of her crib. So she now has a significant amount more agency of when she falls asleep. You know, like most parents, we had a bedtime routine, and we get her to bed, and we tuck her in, and she usually goes along with it. She tried, might try to stall, and, you know, they always try and stall. But once she was there, she sort of accepted it, and she went to sleep. And if she didn't, and she had a meltdown, we'd just put her in the bed, and she could cry all she wanted. And half the time, she would cry herself to sleep, and half the time, she would calm down and say something like, Alaska, one, two, three, and then we'd be like, okay, she's calm. So we'd take her out of the bed, and we'd finish up the bedtime routine and put her back into bed. But we've lost that ability to just you know, punish her by putting her in bed if she starts having a meltdown because she just climbs out and comes right back into the room and joins us. And so that is very frustrating. She has to want or at least accept to be in the crib now. Uh, you know, we looked into the sort of the crib canopy kind of solution, but it didn't really seem right. And we, we put the baby gate back up so she can only and lock the door to the bathroom so she can only go into her bedroom and the playroom. So, you know, she's not going to get in any trouble. But what it means is every night we have to be more convincing to get her into bed, to get her to want to go to bed. For me, that's not too bad. So it's just exhausting. We were doing it together and it takes like an extra hour. She's staying up an hour later, uh, which might not be so bad when daylight savings time happens soon. Maybe she'll fall asleep at the same time again. We don't know. But like she's staying up an hour later at least. And it's like at best, best case is like constant resistance. And worst case is just screaming fits. And it takes so much out of us. And also, Emma has to go through this at lunch because Emma gets the afternoon shift at nap time. That it's just exhausting. It's completely exhausting. And so we're no longer doing bedtime together. We're alternating bedtime, one of us and then the other one of us. And so I really don't see my wife a whole lot anymore. We all have lunch together, sort of. But Jane's a little tyrant at lunch and we can't really have a conversation. Same thing at dinner. We take her over to Grammy's and we get a walk every day together. That is lovely. And then, you know, Jane's bedtime now could be 930. It could be 10 o'clock and I go to bed at 1030, you know? So it's like, we used to at least get two hours in the evening together. We're lucky to get an hour now. And it's usually more like a half an hour on top of that. Emma's got a bunch of work lately in the evening. It's just, it's kind of sad, but you know, we are like cooped. It's hilarious. We're cooped up in this house together for six, seven months now. And I still like kind of miss my wife sometimes. (laughs) 
but I guess that's better. It's better to want to see each other more than less. Right. Um, and I, I do think this might be like just a phase. We, we asked for advice for our friends on Facebook and everybody's like, Oh yeah, that phase sucked. No concrete advice, but universal confirmation that it was a phase, a normal phase. They all went through. So that's, you know, that was a little reassuring. Um, but yeah, <laughs> prison break man she's like just goes free it's pretty crazy she's like flips her leg up and climbs up it's really amazing so you know i was uh, like commiserating with my mom about this and she was like whatever you were so much worse and you started doing this at a younger age and then you had the gall to teach your daughter your sister to do it and she learned how to climb out of her crib at one year old <laughs> every time my daughter does something to make me miserable it's just revenge it's just payback for me making my mom miserable right hakuna matata man hakuna matata other than that she's pretty good she's learning her punctuation marks she's typing she's learning words um i've got through all the like foreign accents <laughs> right <laughs> they uh die, like, like uh umlaut and circumflex and accent grave and accent agoo and tilde and sidi she knows all those we've done ampersand exclamation point period comma she's having a little bit of trouble with colon versus semicolon still she's got parentheses down she's got asterisk down plus sign uh we're working on n dash versus m dash versus hyphen right now as well she still has a little trouble with those um, dollar sign, a little trouble, percentage sign, a little, a little getting there about 50, 50 number sign. She's, she's on, I, you know, I'm debating whether I teach her. It's also called a bash or whatever. I don't know. Having a, having some dilemmas about things that have multiple names and then uh carrot versus circumflex is something we're working on. That's a little bit for hard for her to understand that one still, but you know, she's not three yet. So <laughs> when I was, did I tell you this story last time? I don't remember. Anyway, I, the one question I got wrong on my gifted and talented entrance exam in fourth grade was I didn't know the word for asterisk. I think I told you this. So like my baby is not going to have that problem, but yeah, she's good. Uh, she basically spends all her time typing. Uh, Janet bought her sort of like a typing game. I just give her notepad where she types on my computer right now. There's two computers here. So she's been typing on the iMac pro while I'm working on the Mac pro. It's been kind of nice. I will be sad to have that go away, but she's good. She's good. Uh, media stuff. Let's see. The old journals are all done. It's very exciting. Uh, the reprints came. I burned <laughs> the misprints of the journals, and I went to the I went to the storage unit to put the new copies in the storage unit out of the watertight sterilite bins, and I got the old ones out. I brought them home, and everything. All the journals in the watertight storage uh, bins at the storage unit, which is climate controlled, uh, are all like cracking a little bit. They're like like is this if they got wet and like the pages are sticking together? And it's really weird. I also keep my backup copies of Man Up and Agency and Trekbook there, and they're all fine. So I think it's something with the printing from Lulu. And then I came home and I checked the ones in my library and they're fine. So I don't really know what's happening, but the ones in the storage unit are decaying and it's kind of bumming me out. And I guess I'm not that worried about it because you know, they're in the cloud. I got two copies. Um, I don't know. It's just weird. It's just weird. These are not really archival prints and you pay a lot for them, you know? But so I took all the old ones and I burned them in our outdoor fireplace. And it was a lot of work. Uh, it was like kind of that or shredding. And uh, I was like, well, you know, ash has very high carbon content for the the compost pile. So I'll just burn them. And oh my God, it was so much work. And then Emma was like, you have to clean out this ash out of the fireplace because I keep the kitties out here. And there's a guy coming to like look at the kitties and they get in the ash and they spread it everywhere. So I had to get the shop vac and vacuum out the fireplace. And I had this nice bucket of ash for the compost bin there. That's pretty cool. But that was a big work, big mess. 
uh, but kind of fun. It felt kind of cathartic burning random journals. Like there was nothing bad in them and it was just random years of my life, 1988, 1998, 1999. Added some movies to Plex for you guys. Uh, my friend Aug Stone is a big Diana Rigg fan from the Avengers, and she passed away recently, so he's been sort of trying to watch all the old stuff. Uh, got some movies for him. Uh, a couple of them I was just like, I haven't even put them in Plex yet. They're just in my Dropbox shared to him with links. But uh, I had a Gabbler, 1981 uh, film with uh, Diana Rigg on it, made-for-TV film. Uh, that got put up there. There's two more coming on Netflix for him in this week, but that's the only one that's up there so far. I put Dr. Sleep up there. I put Showgirls up there. And then uh, First and Last Men. It is an ad- adaptation of the Olaf Stapleton novel, which I read uh, a couple years ago. I can't remember if it was during the podcast days or not, but my friend Doug and I were really into it. Really love the book, and it is Johan Johansson, the Icelandic composer, directed and created this film, and my friend Ben says it's the greatest film ever, so that's up there. I'm going to watch it this weekend, hopefully. But uh, he says it's amazing, and I'm very excited to watch it. It's only 90 minutes, so I think I can get that in. Uh, yeah. So those are what's up there in Plex. Didn't buy any Blu-ray 4Ks. Talked to my friend. Uh, he is... Moving back to Denmark. I'm so jealous. I'm so jealous. He's moving back. He's Danish. And uh, he was like, you know, asking how to set up a Plex and rip things. And I sent him a link to the Blu-ray player that I use to rip things and make MKV and give him the lowdown. He's got like 500 Blu-rays and DVDs. And I was like, oh, it's just if it was like 100 or 200, I just offered to do it for him. But, you know, explaining to him the 4K thing and all that. And, oh, man, I'm just so jealous he's moving to Denmark. But I hooked him up with the whole thing, and I was like, yeah, 4Ks are hard. He's like, I got a few. And I was like, well, I can do the 4Ks for you. So he's probably going to mail me his 4Ks, and I'll rip them. But I don't have a lot. There's not nothing new at Walmart, and I'm not buying them. So, you know, that's that's been sort of on the slow side. And then uh, the vinyl ripping station, I, I got out a piece of vinyl to rip. I got the – my friend Gareth bought the new The The 7-inch for me from Record Store Day. I had it shipped from England. <laughs> the nicest guy in the world. Thank you, Gareth. And it's not on Spotify or anything. So I was like, oh, I gotta rip this and something weird happened i just like it's still the, the turntables plugged into this old laptop and the laptop everything was working great the vinyl ripping station and i tried to rip the the, the and it was just like you know played fine the, the, the record's fine but it just wasn't it was like stalling and stuttering in the computer and i just haven't had time to really look into it because i got this new computer over here but i was like yeah i'm gonna get back into vinyl ripping and i was like oh instant technical difficulty this is a real drag too that is uh not happening right now uh, the photo albums are, however, in great shape. I got my test proofs from all of them. I got uh, my parents' wedding, my parents up through the 90s, my parents from the 90s to now, my dad's childhood, my mom's childhood, five books. And I'm giving all five books to five different people, uh, my sister, my mom, my mom's sister, my dad's brother, and me. And uh, so they're all in my cart on Shutterfly, and it's like $900. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, God, I've spent so much money on this project already. I've spent like two grand on it. But I'm going to go through with it. But I'm getting like, you know, card abandonment emails from uh, Shutterfly. I didn't notice the first because they all go into spam, but I saw one briefly. And it was like 50% off of the stuff in your card until this day. And I just missed that day. So now I'm waiting for the next one. And I'll try and find this 50% off code. And then I will buy the books. But great Christmas presents for everyone. And they look fantastic. And I'm very happy about it. Uh, and then that project will be done. Um, maybe I might do a book about my dad's parents and my mom's parents. I'm still sort of debating that. Uh, yeah, I probably, I, I probably will. I'll need my uncles on each side of the family to help annotate those. But Jack, my dad's dad is doing that now. I sent him the drop the box link today. So hopefully that'll work out. Uh, and four track I haven't touched. Uh, I really am going to, uh, but I haven't got around to it.
I've been listening to too much new music again. And man, have I ever. Ooh, let's see. I gotta scroll here. All right, Discogs. I sold, uh, there's a whole thing. Like, I, I, like, somehow in moving to the new computer, Discogs started sending its sales emails to archive mail and I missed like three orders and I had to like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And everybody was like, cool. So they, you know, they're all sent out now. I sold the Aphex, uh, Aphex twin spoken word interview promo CD. I have uh, words and music. It's called, it came out around the time of selected ambient works. Uh, yeah. And you know, I thought you think it was super rare, but it was only like eight bucks. Uh, oh, well, what are you going to do? I sold a Boston CD that was not mine. I think it was Emma's. Uh, I thought it was Tikva's, but it was filed with our CDs. So I think it was one of Emma's old CDs, which is weird. I don't know. Maybe it was her mom's. I don't know. Somebody had a Boston CD and, uh, I sold that. Uh, I saw the Boston's a million times, but I was never really a huge fan. Uh, and there's a guy, uh, Kevin Lanier, I believe his name is. He's the saxophone player in the Boston's, and he went to my high school. I was friends with his younger brother in Alaska, in Fairbanks, Alaska. And, of course, Boston, Boston's. Saw the Boston's first time 30 years ago. Uh, met my college girlfriend at a Boston show. Jeez, oh, she was the best. Anyway, uh, and uh, I sold a Collective Soul CD that was, I think, Janet's, my mother-in-law's. Uh, so that's all I sold on Discogs this week. I got a bunch of records in the mail. I forgot to tell you about this last time, but I bought the Ron's Radical Records RRR 500, which is 500 locked grooves on a 12, uh, LP, 250 locked grooves per side. I got this because I found out on one of our Zoom uh, wakes that my friend Andy was on it. I knew Andy loved experimental music, but I didn't know he ever made any, but Andy is on the Ron's Radical Records RRR 500 locked groove thing. So it was right there in the lantern. It's Andy Shea. So I was like, I had to own one. I had to own a copy. So I bought that. Bought it straight from RRR. Andy and I used to go to RRR. Up in Lowell. And uh yeah, so that was, you know, that was very emotional. The Vinyl Me Please record of the month was Ladies and Gentlemen, We Are Floating in Space by Spiritualized, thus making I think my twelfth copy I own of that record, but it is just beautiful. Double vinyl, blue translucent, uh has the Elvis version on it. I have the original pressing of the vinyl, does not have the Elvis version on it. Sounds better than the original pressing. I played them back to back. It was great. It's it's a beautiful record. Uh yeah, I'm excited. I do, you know, I have a billboard. Uh <laughs> was that fifteen? 15 feet forward, one, two, three, four, 20 foot wide billboard in my studio here that I'm looking at now. Autograph spiritualized, ladies and gentlemen, we're floating space, uh, UK, London tube subway billboard. So, you know, I'm pretty obsessed. Uh, so I was pretty psyched about that. That was pretty cool. Thor and friends, uh, Thor is the, the drummer for the swans, the guy with the big hair. I think I talked about him. Yeah, I talked about him, but uh, I bought the vinyl for Thor four, his new record, Thor and friends four. And uh, when I was up on the site for the website for the label, they're like, you can have a package deal with Thor and friends three as well. So I was like, all right. So I bought them both. I hadn't heard Thor and, Thor and friends three. It was really great. There's a really great Jarbo song on there. It's really great. Michael Jarrah song on there. It's, it's awesome. Uh, they both, you know, very percussive melodic sort of like, uh, wood, I uh, know not woodwinds. Uh, what do you call those instruments? Like xylophones, percussion, chimey sort of stuff. Anyway, a lot of that sort of stuff. Really great. I got two Phil Alvernum records in the mail. I bought them off his band camp. His band camp sells, uh, vinyl. It's pretty sweet. I bought that microphones in 2020 record. It's awesome. And I bought the last Mount Erie record, the live one at that church. Uh, after, uh, I've talked about both those records. I've just become obsessed with that guy. When I first started listening to him, I wasn't into him that much, but now I'm just, I listen to him all the time. He's great. And the flaming lips, American head came just the other day from rough trade. I forgot about it, <laughs> but, uh, listen to it once. It's pretty good so far. So that's everything that's coming vinyl. 
Oh my God. Okay. I didn't listen to as much music as last week, so this won't be quite the marathon, but it's still a fair amount. I tried to take notes this week too. Like, uh, you know, like little notes when I listen to it, write down some notes. So hopefully there aren't so many I remember nothing about. Uh, I listened to that Harry Nilsson Son of Dracula record. It's really bad. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it's got Jump to the Fire in it. That's awesome. A couple other good songs, but mostly it's like way too much dialogue and just kind of cheesy. This guy TC Lethbridge called 2000 TC. It was sort of like a metal psych rock phone record, record that Og recommended because uh, it's a spiritualized connection to it. And it's awesome. TC Lethbridge, man. 2000 TC. Great record. Carla J. Easton, Weirdo. That was another AUG recommendation. It's got a lady pop, pretty cool, fist pop almost. Uh, there's a song on there called Over You that I just loved. It's really fantastic. Carla J. Easton. Erica DeCassier. Uh, this is a recommendation from my friend Sam Valenti. He said it was one of the greatest record debuts or something. I don't know. He made a post about it. And now she's on 4AD apparently, but this is her first record. It's called Essentials. And it was awesome. Like sort of electronica, smooth, sophisticated, uh, soul. I really liked it. Erica DeCassier. Uh, Kid Francescoli. I don't remember who recommended me this one, uh, but uh, I listened to two of her, his records. Uh, oh, I remember why. Um, Nikki Digital sent me a playlist for this company. It's like what they're listening to in the office. And I had heard of maybe one seventh of the bands on it. I was like, well, I got to listen to all this. So a lot of these next ones came from that sort of playlist. And I don't know that company, the people, apparently they're like the people that program the music at WeWork and stuff like that back in the day. But uh, pretty cool, pretty cool music. So Kid Francis Goley uh, with Julia and uh, Lovers. There were the two albums. Synth pop, lots of collaborators. I've never heard of everyone. One's got a different singer sort of thing on it, but they're great. They're really cool. Synth pop, really into them. Cassius, Ibifornia is the record. Cassius is in like Cassius Clay. Uh, I I listened to that one because there's one, two tracks on there that has Cat Power doing vocals on them. And uh, it's a clubby. It's like sort of W Hotel Lobby music, which I, you know, I've got playlists called W Hotel Lobbies in a Better Alternate Universe. <laughs> and this is, this is on it. Cassius, uh, it's pretty good. There's a new Charlotte's. I don't know if it was new or not, but there's a Charlotte Gainsbourg EP on there called Take Two that was all right, but it had a great cover on it. Uh, I won't ruin it for you, but it was really awesome, the cover. And uh, the rest of the EP was good. I'm a big Charlotte Gainsbourg fan. Uh, it's not as good as a records. It's an EP. You could tell. It's probably like outtakes and live stuff or whatever, but it's solid. Take Two. Flo Morrissey and Matthew E. White. Gentlewoman Ruby Man is the name of the album. It's got a Grease cover on it. It's really good. It's pretty chill. It's smooth. <laughs> that that that, uh, that company's playlist has sort of is definitely like of a, a certain vibe. So there's a lot of stuff in the middle here that's all kind of the same sort of vibe. Uh, Parca de Cometas, uh, Mexican shoegaze band. The album is called Paseo. It is awesome. I really liked it. It's got a little bit of jangly indie pop to it, but sort of predominantly shoegaze. Park Parca, P A R Q U E Park de Cometas. It's awesome. The Chain Gang of 1974, Honeymoon Drips, more of the smooth, sort of cool stuff. Really into it. It was a solid record. I really didn't have a lot of clunkers this week. That one was really good. Chain Gang of 1974, Honeymoon Drips was the name of the record. Uh, Tempers, uh, this is a new band on Dias Records. Not a new band. Uh, they are reissuing their first album, which is called Service. I saw on their Instagram, it's like, for the first time on vinyl in years, services from the legendary debut from Tempers. And I was like, I've never heard of this band. And I love everything Deus Records does. So I listened to Services, and it was awesome. It's like synthy goth, kind of like the arch-typical 
accessible vein of Deus Records. They're sort of Sisters of Mercy influenced gothy synth stuff. <laughs> like Drab Majesty versus their experimental noise, coiled Drekka kind of thing. Uh, and I listened to another one of their records called Private Life, and that one was awesome. Strongly recommend this band, Tempers, if you're into that sort of stuff. I got a playlist that I'm growing called Sisters of Mercy Influenced for Emma, because Emma's like, whenever you hear more of these bands, it sounds like Sisters of Mercy. She was into Drab Majesty and a Cold Cave song, so I've just been adding them to it, and then Tempers made the made the list. Uh, then I listened to the new Lemon Twigs. I always give them a listen. Nikki pointed out there's a new album that's called Songs for the General Public, and, you know, it's good. It's very talented. It's well done. It's heavily Apples and Stereo slash Beatles slash, you know, Beach Boys pop. Uh, and I'm just not into that stuff these days too much. I, I, like I found one song on there. I really liked and Nikki sent another one. I was like, yeah, that is a good song. Uh, but I just, I don't know. Every time I listen to a band like that, I'm like, yeah, it's not my thing, man. Not right now. It used to be, it used to be, but lately it's just, I can't do it, but I, I keep up. I'll, I'll always give lemon twigs a chance. Uh, Agnes Obel, uh, myopia is the name of the album album. Uh, it's pretty and melodic with a woman, of course, singing sort of reminds me of this woman, Rachel Zafrina, kind of sparse and ambient, a little electronic, but with some interest, interesting surprise instrumentations, like very little or if any tempo to it. Uh, but I was into it. Uh, and then I realized I'd never listened to, I mean, I listened to it once back at like 25 years ago, the last, the, the album, but you know, that seven inch came and I was like, this is pretty good. And then there was a seven inch last year. I was like, that was pretty good. I was like, why did I, you know, I wonder if that last album was actually any good. I saw them on the naked self tour. They came to Boston. They played the middle East downstairs. And I didn't enjoy it, but I was really self-conscious because I was dating this girl and I was like, you're going to love the, the, and they played like a ton of that album and I didn't know it yet. And it was like awkward and they weren't playing like, you know, soul mining and shit. Uh, but you know what? I listen to it and I'm actually, I like it a lot. It's a good record. I, I naked self by the, the has redeemed itself in my life. Uh, yeah, man. And, uh, you know, if these two seven inches are any indication, eventually there might be another good, the, the album. And I would welcome that. I used to love that band so much. Fena Lily, F-E-N-N-E-L-I-L-Y, Fena Lily. The album is called Breach, all caps for some reason. A lot of all caps going on in band names and album titles these days. Uh, Mellow Rocking Lady singer-songwriter. It's really awesome. Really enjoyed it. Fena Lily. I'm going to listen to some more of her stuff. Solid. Uh, this guy, Joe Wong. Can't remember where this came from. Night Creatures. It's uh, like orchestral, kind of like maybe like a Scott Walker, Scott Two sort of feel, which makes it sound more awesome than it is. But I have actually found myself like listening to Joe Wong for like more than I thought. I was like, I don't like this album the first time and I keep listening to it. So maybe I do. Gay Girl uh, is a new band. Their EP is named Pleasure Head. Uh, I got an email from Vinyl Me Please about them. They're like, I think they... S okay, we're going to go pause until that's done. Hold, please. Yeah, well, I went and checked, couldn't find my wife, couldn't find anyone. I think she might have been banging on a dryer vent outside. She's obsessed with dryer vents. Who can blame her, man? We all have our domestic proclivity projects in this day and age, right? And one of them is, is to replace every dryer vent, every vent on the house. Anyway, Gay Girl, pretty cool, sort of punk, uh, English, uh, kind of sounds like a female-fronted fall kind of thing. Uh, I'm into it. Promising debut EP by Gay Girl. Listen to more Mira, mentioned her before. Uh, listen to another album of hers called Understanding. I'm really growing to like Mira. I'm going to work my way through all her records. That one had like four or five songs I started. I was like, oh my God, this one's so good. Oh my God, this one's so good. She's great. She is great. Astroball, Astrolazy. I don't remember that record at all. <laughs> I should have made a note. That's the one record. I don't remember. Uh, well, uh, yep, nope. Nothing come to me. Pretty low on the list, too. Uh, and then this Friday, like, God, a million things. Oh, one more before that. Microwolf. My cauliflower ears talked about Microwolf last time. Uh, 
super cool, weird, spooky version of Bonnie Prince Billy, maybe, meets, uh, what was that band? Uh, whatever. He's really cool. I've talked about him before. I listened to another album of his called My, My Cauliflower Ears. It is really good. And then this Friday, like a million new records came out and I've been trying to get through them all, but I've only gotten through three so far. I listened to the new Thurston Moore called By the Fire. It is awesome. Really into it. Three or four great songs, two or four long psych jams, a mix of everything. Pretty solid. And then I uh, listened to the new Sufjan Stevens this morning, This the this the Ascension. And I'm into it. I think it's really good. It, like, it was arresting, and it stopped me several times. There's like five songs in there. I was like, this sounds like something I've never heard of before. And it made me really excited. And I've never been a fan. I saw him live back in the day. Never really cared for him one way or the other. But I really like this record upon one listen, and it's solid. And then I listened to the new Fleet Foxes this morning as well. Sure. Sounded good, but uh, could use I could use another couple of listens to with it, but it's promising. And then yeah, there's just a million more to listen to that came out this week. The two main ones being Idols and Sylvan Esso. I haven't got to those yet, but that's pretty cool. Uh, some singles was checking out. There's a new Eels single, really like that. There's a new Mountain Boat Goat single, really like that. New Yellow Tango single, really like that. All of these are in advances of new records coming up. So if you're interested, you can check those out. New Bruce Springsteen, second single off of the new upcoming uh, Bruce, Springsteen, Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band album. Very excited for that. And then uh, I was really obsessed with One Day at a Time this week. Not the TV show, but the song from the 70s. One day at a time, sweet Jesus. Uh, I have this memory from my childhood of that song in one of those like Reader's Digest anthologies, but like an ad for one of those, you know. The best soul, like Christian songs of all time, or whatever. And I was like, who is sings that song? And so I went and looked it up, and like, my God, it could have been anyone. There are like five women that have charted with that song. Uh, Christy Lane, I think Christy Lane was the one I was hearing. Uh, Lena Martell did a version that charted. Marilyn Sellers did a version that charted. Gloria did a version that charted. And I was like, is it crazy that maybe I'm thinking of Tammy Faye Baker doing one? Because like PTL and 700 Club, all that stuff was on the TV, the cable when I was a kid. So I looked it up and Tammy Faye Baker also did a cover of One Day at a Time, which is real weird because it's not listed in the Wikipedia page at all, but I had a memory and I guessed it. So I was like, I think this must be the version from my childhood. But then I listened to it and I was like, I don't think this is it. I think the Christy Lane one is the version from my childhood. So there's this like One Day at a Time mystery going on in my life. And uh, yeah, it's it's a little weird, but I tried to solve that mystery this weekend to no avail. Uh, and then I listened to, there's a new Gene single. I was taking a shower and an old Gene song from 2018 came on I was like oh my god this band is so good what's up with them when's their new album coming out and I went to look at Spotify and there's a new single up there it's called Anything You Want and it's awesome and I can't wait for the new Gene record J-E-E-N I don't know if you guys remember them from me talking about them but uh, they're awesome and their new single's awesome and I'm very excited and then uh, I listened to that Best of Labby C for last week, but I did some more reading on him. I was talking to Paul about it, and I, like, you know, they mentioned these singles. One of them sampled by Public Enemy. None of these songs are on the anthology I listened to, so I was like, okay, I got to listen to like four or five more singles by Labby C So I listened to I Got The and Something Inside So Strong and Crying, Laughing, Loving, Lying, and It Must Be Love. Just trying to hit the like sort of flesh out this two CD anthology of Labby C I listened to and then like hit the other hits, so to speak. So that is it. That is music for the week. Whew. All right, we made it. 
We made it. I haven't really been watching a lot of TV, but I did watch uh, that Challenger documentary on Netflix. The four parts, uh, four hours long, produced by J.J. Abrams called Challenger, The Final Flight. Because I watched that live when I was a kid. I was 13, 12 or 13 when it happened. And, uh, you know, I was in Alaska, so it was everybody in the lower 48 was watching it in school. But I hadn't gone to school yet. It was like 7 a.m in Alaska when this happened. So I, I was obsessed with the shuttle. I was obsessed with space. I was like, going to be an astronaut, all that shit. And, uh, I watched every shuttle launch and you know, that one I was watching, like I always do. And, uh, I mean, as many as I could, we only had live TV, you know what I mean? <laughs> but, but yeah, I watched it live and it was really, really dark and it really had an impact on me. And I think about it all the time. And so this documentary, I was like, you know, and also like in, in high school, I read the Richard Feynman books I didn't know who he was during the shuttle investigation commission with the whole incident with the water and the, and the O-ring and all that. But, you know, then me and my girlfriend in high school, we read the Richard Feynman books. We were really obsessed with them. They're great books. And, uh, you know, so I think about it a lot and I was like, okay, I want to watch this. And it's interesting to me at the time, I, it seemed like, oh, you know, they tracked down the O-ring and Feynman was the hero, but they knew the whole time there it was a cover-up. I didn't really grasp the cover-up nature of the thing, obviously. I mean, I was 12 years old, so forgive me. Um, but yeah, so I learned a lot from it. It was really interesting. So sad, too. Just hard to watch. Hard to watch. Really triggers some stuff, especially in this day and age, you know. But uh, it's very good. So if you care about that sort of thing, I recommend it. And then last week, right after this podcast, I think the Saturday evening, we watched the final one of the Mike Birbiglia specials, uh, the new one. And that was good. It was weird. It was perhaps my least favorite of the four. <laughs> Maybe because it was like about kids and I don't know. It's just some, there's some stuff about it that I didn't quite click the same way, but still very, very talented. Very good. And, um, yeah, other than that, it's been mainly YouTube videos, a lot of instructional videos, been sort of trying to learn about drip irrigation. Uh, you know, I want to like sort of get the tubing and figure out drip irrigation. So I don't have to water my plants all the time, especially if we ever go to containers and then, uh, a lot of research on how to like get a solar panel and a uh, submerged pump in the pond with filters to use the pond water for irrigation instead of you know the water we had pumped in from the city. Not 100% sure that's legal. I got to do a little more digging on it, but I've been watching videos on that. A ton of composting videos and then you know just watching my channels. Watching, you know, new new music videos when they come up and, you know, like Lego stuff and, and, and Logic recording stuff and uh, just, you know, YouTube uh, and then my politics, Rachel and Chris, you know, trying to stay apprised uh, of the shit show that is our modern society. Yeah. On the books, though, I did finally kick back into reading. And I finished that Keynes book, The Price of Peace, Money, Democracy, and the Life of John Maynard Keynes by Zachary D. Carter. It was very good. I was super into it. Uh, John Maynard Keynes dies two-thirds of the way through his own biography. It essentially like talks about all the Keynesians and sort of the English school and the American school of Keynesianism. It talks about a lot about Paul Samuelson, a lot about John Kenneth Galbraith, a lot about like the Clinton years and like different people bringing Keynes, uh, you know. Kind of left out Edward Hastings Chamberlain. They mentioned him once, and it says he was an anti-Keynesian, but I'm like... And then they, uh, they mentioned him again when him and Joan Robinson sort of, like, think up some uh, monopolistic competition theory and how they ignore her. Uh, but And then a lot of Joan Robinson, who I've been fascinated with forever because she's basically the godmother of advertising economics, and I just bought a Joan Robinson biography that was referenced in this book, written by some women over at Duke University. Maybe I'll go meet them someday. 
Uh, and then, you know, cleared up a lot of stuff about Galbraith. I knew, you know, I've read several books by him, uh, new industrial state and affluent society, uh, very, very big books in the seventies and eighties in the United States, influence on economics, advertising economics, sort of continuing in the vein of like Thorstein Veblen and stuff like that. And I also read, uh, I became very pr- fascinated with price fixing. I think I talked to you guys about this like a year ago and I read Galbraith's book on price fixing because he ran the OPA. But, you know, just reading like the whole arc of his life and how he would be in power and out of power and like really the conservatism angle, like just how much the conservatives attacked, you know, Keynesianism and how much, you know, they, they used poor Hayek who like did not actually agree with them and uh, believed in a safety net and, you know, rode to serfdom, misabused it and Friedman and Goldwater and Reagan and like the, just the racism underlying it all. And like, uh, you know, <laughs> It's just depressing. And uh, I'm going to eventually, I've decided I need to read those uh, Nixon land and Reagan land that four part conservative books by that guy. I can't remember his name yet, but I'm going to get to that. But first I'm reading a few other things first. Uh, so I moved on. Like I was sort of like the book ends with, um, I mean, you know, it mentions Trump, but not really because it, it, it's published before COVID. So he had no economic agenda one way or the other pre COVID. And, uh, but it talks a lot about Obama and how he was like, you know, not Keynesian. He believed you had to balance the budget and all that. And, you know, really like actually completely opened my eyes to, to Clinton and his economic policies. Give me a sort of adult revisiting of some stuff that I've given him too much of the benefit of the doubt of. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, I was kind of like, I wish this book got a sequel. And I was like, well, it kind of does in the form of Stephanie Kelton in the budget myth. So I decided I would read that. Uh, Stephanie Kelton is one of, is an economist. She was the head economist for the Senate Democrats in 2014 to 2016, when she left to become Bernie Sanders economic advisor. And she's one of the leading proponents of modern monetary theory, which is kind of like new Keynesianism in that the deficit doesn't matter as much as inflation and you can spend more. AOC is a big proponent of it. And, uh, so I wanted to read her book and, uh, get like sort of the theory from the horse's mouth, so to speak. And it's been very interesting. I'm about a third of the way through and, uh, it's pretty eye opening. She does not actually claim you could spend as much money as you want. Um, which I think I'd been led to believe by the conservative proponents, even God, even at this age of 48 years old, deeply steeped in like propaganda and economics, I can still fall for fucking conservative dogma propaganda. It's maddening. Anyway, she doesn't believe that at all. She just says we have to watch inflation more than deficits. And, um, it's, it's good. I will finish it pretty quick. It's a short read. I'll tell you more about it when I finish it. But uh, yeah, and then the Galbraith book really, you know, just a lot of parallels to now, actually, with great debates about spending versus not spending, great debates of, like, the big one being FDR and the Great Depression and sort of, like, the amazing amount of revolution in the air, the number of Americans that were communists and socialists and Marxists that believed that capitalism had failed and that we needed to move on and how FDR was sort of founded his mission to save capitalism by reforming capitalism and how that we are now stuck having these same conversations again. Can capitalism work or does it just get captured by the the rich people? who screw over the rest of us or can we like vote somebody in that will save it again? Uh, it really resonated because it really feels like right now. And it's a little terrifying because yeah, we had FDR and we had the vote that time, but you know, his, his numbers in the house and Senate when he first came into office were, I mean, we'll be lucky to get 50, you know? So it's a little terrifying, but uh, very good book. And, uh, I'm going to keep on this sort of train for a while. And then work is going well. I mean, we had a bit of luck, 
there was a Apple policy that they were about to implement that they weren't giving anybody any specs to, and it was very scary and it was probably going to hit our revenue. And they were like, we were ready for it technically as far as we could be, but you know, they, right before they sort of decided that it was time to go, not that they would tell you exactly what data was going to happen. They, a couple of days before that, they said, okay, you know what? We're going to give you guys like a pause. We'll do this next year. And I was like, thank you. But yeah, and they're actively, like, oh, Jesus, I don't really want to get into this debate too much, but you know, it was unfair. Let's just say that <laughs> it was not clearly documented and it was, it, yeah. Anyway, so that, that got postponed, kicked down the road at least. So that was nice. Uh, we had that, we had a client that was angry, but it turned out that was okay. <laughs> there was just a little technical confusion on their end. And we sort of were cleaning that up. We had a little bit of like, we're working on our audits our sock audits. And we had like a little hiccup on one of those, but that got worked out a lot of like fire drills that sort of like got put out, uh, you know, and, uh, I'm pretty, oh, then there's an insurance mess up. I don't really know how this one happened, but you know, it was time to do the new insurance and we did the insurance correctly this year, but it turned out last year we were paying too much for certain people's insurance. Um, the employee contributions were not, you know, equal for all the employees. Like if you had a kid, we were contributing more and we shouldn't have been, we should have been contributing equally. And so, you know, then this year we did it correctly, but then like the people that had it before, they're like, Oh, this isn't right. And it was just super confusing. And we had to sort it all out and I got it all sorted out finally. But that was another one. I was like, Oh my God, I can't believe we did this. It's like weird to learn about a mistake you made a year ago when the mistakes already fixed, but it's just now having ramifications. So I don't know. That was kind of weird. I'm still not convinced it was our fault because I vividly remember checking all those numbers like four times before submitting them back in 2019. So I don't know. But anyway, that got taken care of. So that's good. Work is going all right. Uh, I am thankful for the job. It is pretty pleasant. We did like a sort of bonding experience. We had a new revenue record on our Nimbus side. And we did like a little, we hired like a, like a party host for our zoom, like a bartender. It's actually really fun. I haven't done one of those sort of, uh, guided zoom festivities things. And, uh, you know, I would recommend it for your team. If you're not too big of a team, they use the breakout rooms and everything. It was kind of cool. It was kind of cool. It's, yeah. That sounds cheesy, I know, but it was kind of fun. And then the project's are going well. Uh, Andy Shea's live journal book, uh, Og did the forward. He just sent that to me, and he just sent his notes. I've got the forward flowed into the book. I'll flow the notes in tomorrow or Monday. And then i got to do a passing for the whole book for Orphans and Widows and Pagination. Uh, Heather sent a painting of Andy for the cover, and Christine is designing the cover. So hopefully next week we can get it off to the printer. And I will do another open call on Facebook for everybody, uh, his friends uh, that wants a copy and I'll print some extras just in case. So hopefully by mid October, that book should be in everybody's hands. That'll be nice. The Facebook posts I do every day. I copied them all out of Facebook into Scrivener for, I don't know if I'll actually ever make the book, but a lot of people are like, you should make a book. And also I don't like having my data just tied up in Facebook. So I copied all the posts out. They're all in a Scrivener now. So that took forever. It took like a week, but it's done. And, uh, yeah, that's cool. And then uh, Japanese Trek, the guy got that book and he's like, okay, this is good, but this one, I don't like your fonts. And I was like, okay. So I sent him a font, a sort of 10 page PDF of like five different font samples. It was like, here's the fonts. Tell me which one you like. And I did that like a week ago and I haven't heard back from him. So uh, that's fine. I'm not in a rush. I am just excited that it's a thing that's not in my court. <laughs> I'm all caught up on it right now. I do have to write the intro though. So I keep forgetting. I, I keep writing other things in my 750 words each day. Um, but I need to remember to write that. Uh, maybe I'll do it tomorrow or Monday. Yeah, I'm going to get it done this week. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. But everything else I said I was going to do on that book is done. I'm caught up. Ha ha. That is very exciting. 
and then, you know, I haven't really started any other projects yet. Still thinking about the ad book. Um, there's some stuff in this Keynes book that gave me a little bit of like rethinking on it. And, uh, now there's a, as ever, there's a couple more things I want to read, but I am, I'm seriously considering sort of just taking a couple weeks off and banging it out. I don't know. Projects are hard. I'm tired. Maybe I'll take a break until Jane like becomes a human being again. Anyway, thank you for listening. Drop a line. I miss you guys. Hope you're doing all right. Hope you're surviving pandemic. Let me know how you are. And uh, I'll talk to you guys in a couple weeks. Thank you. And take care.